welcome back to the wise man's page the daily podcast although for how much longer who can say where we talk about the wise man's fear page by page this is page 983 chapter 151 locks quoth drew a deep breath and nodded to himself let's stop there he said money in my pocket for the first time in my life surrounded by friends that's a good place to end for the night he idly rubbed his hands together right hand massaging the left absent-mindedly if we go much farther things get dark again Chronicler picked up the short stack of finished pages and tapped them on the table, squaring their corners before resting the half-finished page on top. He opened his leather satchel, removed the bright green crown of holly, and slid the pages inside. Then he screwed shut his inkwell and began to dismantle and clean all the pieces of his pen. Quoth stood and stretched. Then he gathered up the empty plates and cups, carrying them into the kitchen. Bast merely sat, his expression blank. He didn't move. He hardly seemed to be breathing. After several minutes, Chronicler began to dart glances in his direction. Quoth came back into the room and frowned. Bast, he said. Bast slowly turned his eyes to look at the man behind the bar. Shep's wake is still going on, Quoth said. There's not much cleaning up to do tonight. Why don't you head over for the end of it? He'll be glad to have you. Bast considered for a moment, then shook his head. I don't think so, Reshi, he said, his voice flat. I'm not really in the mood. He pushed himself out of his chair and made his way across the room toward the stairs without looking either of them in the eye. I'll just turn in. The hard sounds of his footsteps retreated slowly into the distance, followed by the sound of a closing door. That's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Joanna. I'm Jeremy. Now, I think that there's something interesting about Quoth choosing to stop the story here. I mean, obviously, metatextually, we know that's because the book's almost over and he's about the books. Each book takes place over one day of the frame narrative. We all know that. But I also think that Quoth understands story structure and he stopped telling the story kind of right before the dark night of the soul uh, that that tends to come before you break into the third act of a story. If you're, if you're kind of breaking it down according to. Uh, the three-act structure that that Western storytellers are familiar with, the rising action tends to hit an emotional peak. And then there's a big valley sort of at the second half of Act 2 where things get really bad for our hero and things start to look their worst right before we get into Act 3 and things kind of turn around and come back to a climax. And I think Quoth is stopping kind of at the apex of of the roller coaster right before we dip down into the 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 build up to act three uh which in the blake snyder beat sheet would be called you know a bad guy's close in leading to the dark night of the soul of the break into three and i think that quoth in telling this story to his audience understands that this is a good place to take kind of a dramatic pause and uh start in fresh tomorrow we have it confirmed that things will get dark we've had that sense especially throughout the last chapter that there's something uncanny, unpleasant, uh, despite the objectively positive experiences that Quoth is having, there's something, there's a dark cloud forming. And we have that, we have that confirmed here. And I wonder if Bass knows this part of the story. He's probably still reacting to his own plan failing. That's why he's so bummed. Yeah, that's the sense I get. Yeah. But I also wonder if, you know, he also knows that 
things are getting bad and he knows how bad they get. Maybe he's worried that uh, because it's backfired now, we're going to tell the sad part of the story and that'll make things worse for Quoth. Well, and now that's making me think of something that I don't think we've ever really talked about before, which is that in all the stories that people tell about Quoth, we've never heard one that explains why he went away or what happened to him. Hmm. Those stories... Now, maybe it's simply a dramatic device of like, Rafis doesn't want to spoil his own book, but there's never even been like a hint or a totally fanciful interpretation that we could dismiss out of hand. So it seems like whatever happened to Quoth that made him give up being Quoth, that did not make its way into the popular consciousness. Have we ever even heard a story referring to him as a king killer? Ah, good question. I don't think so. I don't think we have. Yeah, I think that the only evidence we have that he's a king killer is the name of the book. He calls himself, quote, king killer when he's giving his epithet. Oh, I suppose. But you'd think that would be like the first thing they say about him if he is, you know, wanted for killing a king. That's an interesting symptom because like who calls him Quoth Kingkiller if it didn't make its way into the kind of campfire stories and fables that people tell about him, then maybe only a specific group of people call him that, right? Like not everybody calls him Maedra. Not everyone, not everybody knows that's his name to the, only the Adem know that. So maybe similarly, he's only known as Kingkiller to a particular group of people. Fast is making Chronicler nervous, which is funny. Chronicle knows what he's capable of. It is Bast's like lack of anything making Chronicler nervous. Yeah, I think he's, I think Chronicler's like if he's gonna have a psychotic break, he, I'm like sitting right next to him. He might snap my neck or something. I feel like anyone having no emotional response at the end of a long story is a little weird. Like I don't think it's just because it's Bast. I think it's. Yes. Anyone being that way would be weird. Yes. And Quoth also obviously sees that something is wrong because he tries to sort of, in a, in a gentle way, talk Bast out of it. But I think what Nick is identifying is the reason that Chronicler reacts the way Chronicler reacts is because Chronicler has had this guy threaten to, like, dance in a puddle of his blood and guts. I think that will color all your interactions with that person going forward. Fair. I do want to put out here, there, though, that we're about to see a turning in... in the power dynamic, another favorite phrase of ours, uh, of their relationship. And I wonder yes. if this is the seed of that. If if Chronicler maybe is not, maybe I'm sure he's still worried, but maybe he's sort of putting together like, oh, maybe he doesn't have all the answers. Maybe he's just a reactive and angry little boy. And he maybe he does need uh, some some rational thought because something inspires Chronicler to go knock on his window in the coming scene. Indeed. Yes, Chronicler is not the meek milk toast that he appeared. You ever had milk toast? You should try it. It's nice and soggy. I don't. I, I don't know if that's what I want from my toast. I I quite enjoy dipping my sandwiches. Like if I make a PBJ, I'll dip it in milk, make it nice and soggy. It, it's uh, okay. Wait, I thought I thought milk toast was just like you know milk bread. I thought it was just you know milk bread. That's toasted. Well, for one thing, the word milk toast referring to like a, a nebish is not spelled M-I-L-K. It's spelled M-I-L-Q-U-E. So I don't think it's even referring to milk. Well, I've never seen it written down. So yeah, it, it, in real <laughs> life, it refers to neither milk nor toast. But let's get back to the real important topic of conversation, which is dipping your PBJs in milk. It adds that's excellent. Up. Like you would think, <laughs> no, 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 no. Bear with me here. You would think that 
it would like ruin it, but it actually improves it because the sogginess combined with the tart and savory uh, and like the coolness of the milk really helps to actually enhance it. In fact, if you're really pro, dip it into orange juice. That's what I used to do when I was a Whoa. kid. Whoa. Oh, no. Yeah. That's that's oh, crazy. Yeah. That's oh, crazy yeah. talk. You sog it up. You get like, sweetness. I was with you for milk, but I am. I don't know if I'm there for orange okay, juice. Okay, well, start start with milk. You people are perverts. <laughs> it is um, acceptable <laughs> to dip toast into things like a beef dip. That's a perfectly acceptable thing. A savory thing and another savory thing to get the savory juices on the on the warm toast. It's crunchy, so it's crunchy but kind of like goopy. That's great. But once you start dipping things, breakfast foods and dipping breakfast foods into milk and orange juice, that's pervert. That's pervert stuff, and I can't, I can't in good conscience. I thought you were a resident pervert. I am. I am your resident pervert, which is why when I call you a pervert, brackets derogatory, you know that I mean business. <laughs> I suppose that's true. We generally don't let you know. We we generally don't think you're a pervert. In brackets derogatory. <laughs> oh no! I, I well, I, you know, I, I equal parts derogatory and complimentary when I call Jeremy a pervert. Mm, perfectly balanced as all things should be. That's right. I think we can all agree though that breakfast is the most dippable meal. Wait, breakfast is the most difficult meal? Dippable. dippable. Oh, dippable. Yeah, you, you, you uh, like yeah, you, you make uh, pretty dippable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you guys you are forgetting got... lunch. Lunch Eggs. that often incorporates a soup and therefore it has lots of things. Ooh, that can no, be Jeremy makes a soup. good point. This is true. I think breakfast and lunch equally dippable. What are you dipping at breakfast? Uh, you, you can dip toast, into toast your... in your eggs. You That's can right. you can dip. Uh, you can do French toast sticks and dip them in maple syrup. Yeah, pancakes. Uh, you can you make. Can, you can uh, dip your spoonful of cereal into the milk. Mm. Okay, that doesn't count. You know, okay, I, I, I see your point, but this is just coming back to my further point that I don't like most breakfast foods. So these all strike me as Also, disgusting. Jeremy, aren't you English? Don't you love dipping biscuits into things? Look, famously, the English have dog shit cuisine because they are a dog shit people. No one in the history of the world, not even the most ardent British imperialist, can reasonably defend English cuisine. What about like fish and chips? Fish and chips is pretty good. And isn't beef dip English? You're talking to the guy who doesn't like French Wait, fries. I, I, fish and chips will get you cut you no ice with me. Okay, what about? Well, you just mentioned beef dip. Beef dip's English, isn't it? Pretty sure it's French. Yeah. Oh, that would make sense. Any and you know what? I think we can also safely assume that any good culinary thing that is happening in the British Isles is just like a French import. In all likelihood, <laughs> I love that anything good. Anything good culinary wise, <laughs> yeah, or Indian. Yes, no, I know. <laughs> Curry is now a more popular pub food in Britain than mm-hmm. other pub food. It's like the most popular pub. Dish. Makes sense to me because curry's got like flavors in it. Yeah, I was gonna say. I feel like if I was if I was like British cooking kind of kind of person who had only had like what I what I think I know is British food and then suddenly discovered curry, I'd be all over that shit. <laughs> the real reason why the British East India Company colonized them. All right, do we have anything else to say on this page? I don't think so. Honestly, not a lot on this page other than Bass being kind of a weirdo. Kind of a sad He's sack. He's going to continue to be a sad sack yeah. on tomorrow's page, so we can follow up from there. Whoa, hang on, hang on. We, we, got, we got letters. We got letters. The mailbag. We got letters. We have a letter from our old friend SNC, long time no read. Nice to hear from you again. Who writes on Quoth and Denna's relationship? Hello, pagers, long time no see. You said a great deal in these chapters about Quoth and Denna's relationship that I thought was quite insightful, but there are a few things I would like to add. One thing you didn't discuss was the matter of Felurian. On page 965, on their ride together back from Tarbine, Quoth says that Felurian was one of the subjects they didn't discuss 
And on page 966, he mentions that he decides not to wear the shade because he doesn't want Denna to think of Thalurian when he comes to visit her. Side note, this always gave me a vibe of a stereotypical cheating husband tries to cover up his mistress's lipstick sort of thing. I think Quoth's song about Thalurian is weighing on Denna's mind and making her think he doesn't want anything more from her than her body. Even before the conversation moves to the woman, the women Quoth has dallied with in Imra. I think that therefore Jeremy is wrong when he infers that Denna wants Quoth to make a move on her in the scene in the river and the rock in chapter 148. I think she is testing him to see what he will do and doesn't really want him to, which is why she relaxes when she sees he is still wearing pants after she sees him shirtless. On the other hand, I think she does on some level still want to be with him, which is why she gives off flirtatious vibes, even perhaps despite herself. I think the reason Quoth is confused about Denna is because Denna herself is confused about what she thinks of Quoth and what she wants from him, which is what Quoth is picking up on. It seems to me that the stone story that Denna tells Quoth is not about him, but rather about her first lover, who is the cause of many or all of her hangups about men, which is why she tells it to him in the hopes that he understands her explanation of why she is the way she is. I think Denna's anger about Quoth's relationships is understandable, since in her mind, she only dates men for financial purposes and Quoth is having sex with all those women just for fun. Given that the song he wrote about his time with Valerian, I can see why she thinks that Quoth doesn't really want her as a person, given her lack of access to his head. Personally, the first time I read this book, it seemed strange to me that Quoth would seemingly out of nowhere start sleeping with so many women without a second thought, given his general obsession with Denna. It makes more sense to me now, though I still think it's silly that he didn't seem to realize it would bother her. I guess that's the folly of youth, though. In chapter 149, Sim meant the line, Quoth would turn the world upside down for this girl to be hyperbolic, but I think he will be more right than he could possibly have imagined. The irony about Quoth's line that he doesn't love Denna because he can't love something he doesn't understand is that it's precisely because he can't understand her that he is so powerfully drawn to her. Thank you for all your work on this podcast, and I hope all your endeavors after this will be come to success. P.S. I think the scene on page 966 when Quoth stares into Denna's eyes and is lost in wonder demonstrates that even after meeting the most beautiful woman in either realm and dating so many other women, he is still awestruck by Denna. Best regards, signed SNC. Thanks, SNC. I think those are some pretty well-reasoned points, but I, there's one that uh, is sticking for me that I think uh, kind of tumbles some of this house of cards, which is Quoth has not uh, released for public consumption his song about Fleurian because he hasn't written it. No, it, it it was picked up. People people are singing it. It's it is out there. He's performed it. He's yes. performed it, and it's been picked up. The song about Fleurian. Is well, then why knowledge. hasn't he gone back to Fleurian? Because he doesn't want to. Because when he goes back, he won't leave again. She's going to be pissed. Yeah, she is. That's an unfinished thread. He's he's vowed to return to her, but once he goes back, she's well. Not also, it's possible that he like hasn't spread the song enough. Is like going to be his excuse. He's like, oh well, they only know it in this part of the world. What about the rest of the world? I, I see this as a like I said this to get out, and I'm have no intention of fulfilling that bargain and that is going to come back to bite him in the ass probably i feel like there's a lot of things going to come back to bite him. what snc pointed out about denna being confused like rings true to me and we talked about this a little bit how it's like kind of a troubling sexist trope to have the female character who's like i want this but i don't want this and i do kind of think that's what's happening in some level and you know, having also myself been like confused and been in a place where I've simultaneously wanted something and not wanted something, I'm like less bothered by it. But I, we've said this a lot, but I do feel like struggling with some of the like more dated tropes that 
he was perhaps mindfully deconstructing at the time, but now it feels more like he is uh, reinforcing is part of why Rothfuss is struggling with book three because he's written himself. He's already written a character who is uh, inclined to, to think this way. So he has to kind of untangle that and find a way for it to no longer be so uh, troubling. I think. Yeah. Creaky door. We have a creaky door for a podcast host. That's me. But it did. It creaky didn't door was a was a big hit on the 1940s radio circuit. Next up, it's creaky door with "Don't spank my donkey." Uh, and listeners, you can not spank our donkeys on tomorrow's page. Uh, the wind. wind.